0: Hello and welcome to the August and September 2023 episode of The Seagull. The Seagull is the place to stay up to date on everything you need to know about the 102nd Intelligence Wing at Otis Air National Guard Base, right here from beautiful Cape Cod, Massachusetts. I'm Tim Sandlin from Public Affairs, and together with Airman First Class Julia Ahasi, we'll get you up to speed on what's going on here at The Wing. This will be a special episode of The Seagull, as our RSDs are so close together, this one will serve for the month of September as well. How you doing, Julia? What's going on? How you doing today?
1: I'm pretty good. How are you doing, Tim?
0: I'm doing fantabulous.
1: Great. So in this month's show, we hear from the leadership of the 102nd Civil Engineering Squadron and how they empower their airmen by helping them understand the bigger picture, giving them a voice, giving them opportunities to lead, prioritizing morale, and encouraging the warrior ethos. We also hear from a trio of airmen who have all served here at Otis. Two with the Air National Guard and one from when Otis was an Air Force base. The best part, they're all related.
0: Then we'll hear a clip from our other podcast, Chevrons, where we recently held a roundtable discussion about this month's time workshop that you won't want to miss. But first, in this month's command message, Colonel Tim Gordon, Vice Commander of the 102nd Intelligence Wing, stresses the importance of being prepared for our upcoming midpoint inspection.
2: Greetings. Happy August and welcome back to Otis for our annual end of summer drill weekend. I hope everyone's been able to rest a bit and enjoy the summer. My comments today are going to focus on our September ACC midpoint inspection, which is fast approaching. And yes, I recognize that we've had numerous inspections over the past few months. This one, however, is part of our normal inspection cycle, and it's designed to assess our readiness posture for both our support to home station ISR missions and our deployable UTCs. This will actually be the first time that these readiness postures will be inspected simultaneously. So it's important that we all spend this weekend understanding our roles in the inspection, and finalizing our preparation for it. Here's uh, a general overview of the events that will take place as part of the inspection. The exercise will begin with a large contingent of wing members deploying to Tactical Training Base Kelly, located right here on JBCC. These airmen who have already been identified and are primarily from our support functions will demonstrate to the ACC inspection team their ability to function and perform their job under stressed and degraded conditions, similar to what they may experience at a FOB. Meanwhile, here at OTIS, we will be challenged to support our home station intel missions that will be surging to support exercise events, absent the support of the airmen that have deployed to TTB Kelly. Uh, So it's an interesting challenge. The typical Air Force model with a flying mission would have the mission and the support functions deployed together. Here at the 102nd, we need to be able to support our home station mission and our deployment requirements, all at the same time. So that's the overview and that's the challenge. With that, I ask that every wing member be aware that everybody has a role in this inspection, whether you're a deployer or providing home station support to our intel missions or you're an intel operator. You should have an understanding of the intent and the purpose of this inspection. And be aware that you could be directly involved in an exercise inject or scenario, something that you'll be expected to respond to. So we all just need to be a little extra vigilant and aware of what is happening around us and on top of our game. And once again, we will show yet another inspection team how impressive and professional the 102nd team is. Have a good drill.
1: The 102nd Intelligence Wing Enlisted Force Development Committee recognized the 102nd Civil Engineering Squadron for their dedication to airmen development. Squadron leadership empowers their airmen by helping them understand the bigger picture, giving them a voice, giving them an opportunity to lead, prioritizing building morale, and encouraging warrior ethos. In this clip, squadron leadership explain how they accomplish these important goals.
3: It's important for any member of the Air Force to feel empowered and know their purpose. The purpose gives them a reason to be here. It makes them wanna be part of the mission and what we do. If it becomes just a job to them, then they're not really committed. They're not gonna put 100% in. They're not gonna give you what you need. That's one of the biggest things a leader can do is always give their airmen their purpose. I am Lieutenant Colonel Christian Layton, and I am the 102nd Civil Engineering Squadron Commander. I am Senior Master Sergeant Calvin Melvin, the Senior Enlisted Leader of the 102nd Civil Engineering Squadron. I like to instruct all of our airmen on how critical
4: their role is to the mission. It's really important so that the airmen understand why we're doing what we do, and they need to understand the big picture, and a lot of times we kind of can lose sight of that. What I try to do every drill morning is give our own civil engineering current intelligence world brief. So what we try to focus on is what's going on with our allies, what's going on with the emerging threats, our near peer competitors. What is the State Department? What's our diplomacy? What are they looking at and how does that relate to the military? And then we tie that back to what does that relate to the Air Force and civil engineering? And that goes all the way from the strategic all the way down to the tactical level. And that right there helps give our airmen a big understanding of why they come in for drill, why they do their training, and what they're being prepared to do when we deploy, and how they can make an impact
3: in our overall national defense. Um, The airmen really get into that, and there's a lot of questions asked. It makes great communication back and forth, and that's how we start our drill off every drill, is to give them the reason why we're here, and that just starts the drill off in the right direction. The threats
4: on the horizon is really important for them to know, um, and also to know how important civil engineering is it's absolutely critical especially for an airbase especially in a deployed location often it's in an austere environment and civil engineering really is the backbone of the mission uh, at an airbase the real nucleus is that airfield and without that airfield those uh, those aircraft are, are useless so without our airmen doing our jobs and their jobs um, the air force cannot Meet its mission for air superiority and bring in air power to to the fight. So it's absolutely critical that everyone understands how their tasks, their daily tasks, really result into mission success. And we really, we really foster that environment.
5: I am Tech Sergeant Victor Kalinski. I am the structures supervisor at the 102nd CE. You get a sense of belonging, and you get a second family out here. You get to work every day on some projects that at first you're looking at of why are they so tedious why am i doing this and then when you really get a chance to deploy go out tdy or do something else you start to realize your little project that you did the other day plays a huge role somewhere down the line
6: one of the ways that we like to empower our airmen is uh, to give them all a voice I'm Master Sergeant Sean Kerrigan, and I'm the first sergeant at the Otis Air National Guard Base for Civil Engineering. Uh, We like to use open communication with everyone. It makes our airmen really feel like they mean something to the unit, so they can come to me with any issues that they're having as the first sergeant, but they also go to our other senior enlisted leaders, and they go to their their supervisors if they have problems. But it really makes everyone feel close, and it makes our airmen feel like uh, that, that we're looking out for them. It makes them feel like they belong. And it makes them want to stay then you know it's it's more like a family here than a job so when airmen show up on a drill weekend they're they're happy to show up it brings something else to the table other than just the work that we do Uh, one of the things that we found very
4: successful is to empowering our airmen giving them a voice i have met with the airmen what i do is i have them come up with the three things that they like the best about the squadron and three things that they would like to see fixed or changed. That right there really gives me a roadmap on things that I should take a look at. And when I do address some of those changes, it really is a direct impact from the airmen, and they can see, hey man, that commander just listened to me and made a change based on the airman's recommendations. We also push an environment where a lot of the answers come from the lower levels. They're the experts at their craft and uh, we rely on them to do their jobs and we listen
3: to them and we make those changes based on some of their recommendations. A lot of times when we talk about empowering airmen, we think about just the airmen, um, but it actually encompasses everyone in the Air Force. We also need to think about our NCOs, our senior NCOs. So when I sit down and do an ACA, I don't just sit there and take the ACA form real quick and go through that. It takes me probably at least an hour and a half when I sit down with them, I talk about the national defense strategy, how it pertains into the Air Force strategy, I pull out the Enlisted Force Development Blueprint and it walks you right through from day one all the way up to becoming a chief and how that all works and I try to tie that into each individual's career um, I sit down with my talk about their career where they want to go what they want to do I talk about courses that they should be taking and I actually take the time to get to know them I even get to the point where I look at all their points and help them through and make sure they have all that stuff accounted for. I really take the time to show them that I care about where their career is going and how that's working, but I try to teach them and show them a lot of stuff along the way so they can then empower their airmen so they know where they're going and what they need to do, and that really empowers them to
6: keep their career moving in the right direction. We've also seen uh, senior airmen, staff sergeants, we've brought them up from the beginnings of their careers. They're going out, they're getting their electrical degree, they're becoming plumbers on the outside, Uh, they're bettering their outside lives, um, and I think a lot of their confidence comes from their military careers, you know, from being in civil engineering. One of the big things at CE that we do, we
3: try to any training that we have, we try to have the airmen lead the training as much as we possibly can. That way they're getting the experience of going out, learning, finding the information and they're going to get up front and brief it. It makes them feel empowered because they're the ones that are now responsible for training and it's not just always the same people up front talking. So being in CE, there's obviously always work that needs to be done around the base. We try to get the members out working and when we have jobs to do, our younger airmen are usually leading those. Well, we're here. Doing all the administrative stuff running the squadron the younger senior and staff sergeants they're the ones out running the projects and they like that they like to be the ones in charge they have to come back and give us briefings tell us where they're at tell us what they need and they have full power to run that project how they see fit and that makes such a big difference it makes them feel like they're really part of the squadron they're making things happen and they see their results of what they're doing. A
4: good example is last year we deployed to Montana where we worked on a large project at the Blackfoot Indian Reservation and there we were tasked to work on a 7,000 square foot senior living facility. We actually put a staff sergeant in charge of the overall project. We knew they had the skills and we let him take that and run with it, organize and get after it
6: not only empowers the airmen who get to take on the responsibility of the project, it also shows the other airmen, maybe a senior airman or another staff sergeant, that they will also have that opportunity in future projects and that they're in a environment that wants them to succeed and wants to give them that opportunity. That also builds trust and trust is very important.
4: It shows that the leadership has a lot of trust in the junior airmen to tackle these projects and that we have full faith and trust in their abilities and how to manage. And they're out there, they
3: own that project. They're very proud to work on the project, so they're really working hard. It does more than just gives them their purpose or empowers them. It makes it so they have trust in themselves and they feel like they can go get things accomplished. They don't always have to look to leadership to tell them what to do. They take the next steps. They move forward in projects. They get things done on their own. It helps to improve the quality of what they do. It helps to get projects done faster. Um, we've seen a lot of strides in just how much work we can get done on a drill weekend, and that's a huge, impact to the daily operations of the whole wing. It helps every asset of what CE does. I am
7: Staff Sergeant Trenton D. Terra with the Heavy Equipment Shop for the 102nd Civil Engineering Squadron. My leadership, they set us up for success by setting us up with like the right material, tools, and things we need. If any issues occur, they, they jump to it. We adapt very well and uh, it's because of them at the top. Our leadership does trust us to get the job done and it's important for them to let us work out here on our own so if we mess up we learn how to fix our mistakes or we learn what goes wrong for the next time so we can perform the job flawlessly.
5: Most projects we do, there are no real challenges that we can't tackle and handle ourselves inside the unit by putting our brains together or talking amongst each other with the different shops. We all work as one big family, so even if it's something that one particular shop can't handle on their own, we can always call in our friends and family members from the other shops to come help us out.
7: In any situation, you want somebody that's going to have you back and it's always going to be there. I'm Technical Sergeant Jose Barada. I'm the Morale Committee Coordinator from the 102nd CE. We arrange activities and events for everyone in in our squadron to try to build something that we can have fun and bond with. The morale committee is important to our squadron because we you know we haven't had it in a long time and we see people coming and going and we want to have people feel more at home with with just the simple fact of being a wingman. Senior Master Sergeant Calvin Melvin um, is the one that said hey I want us to get closer what can we do Um, and then he said I want we got to establish a morale committee and that's how that started. You know I, I got to give it up to our Colonel and senior Melvin because our colonel is the one that started this in Montana. He wanted this, this bonding time. He wanted this he wanted us to be closer. and um, I'm seeing that now, so I, I just I really appreciate this squadron. I don't see myself ever leaving because of how much we've united within the past year. We're doing a hike. We are going to hike as a squadron Mount Monadnock,
4: and we are also tying in some training goals. Uh, We're gonna be working on our convoy operations. We're gonna do C on the mountain and then do some some land navigation. So, but what's really important about that hike is that we get out and we all do it together so that when we all get to the summit and we can take some great squadron photos with our guide on, something that all the airmen can look down and, and look around and just be proud of their accomplishment you know, the physical accomplishment of climbing that mountain and getting down. And I really think that'll be one of those moments that you look back and it's just building that squadron camaraderie, that unit cohesion, which is so critical. It really is for a squadron, so that you can lean on each other for support during a six-month deployment, lean on doing the jobs, and just getting through the day-to-day. It's it's really critical for squadrons to have that within the, within the unit.
8: My name is Staff Sergeant Sean Keene. I'm with the 102nd Civil Engineering Structure Shop as far as uh, getting ready to go downrange, that's always as a squadron, because we have the same tasks. So it's important that we do our TCCC training together, we do weapons training together, and that requires the whole squadron to come together. I don't know if every squadron really is that cohesive. Um, I think a lot of shops do work apart from each other, they will come together at times, Um, but I think you'll see as you're observing CE, um, we sit together like glue.
4: Over the last couple of years as commander, I couldn't be more proud of the squadron. They've really accomplished quite a bit in, in the couple of years that I've been here. And I'm really proud of each and every one of them. From the top of Mount Monodon, where the 102nd Civil Engineering Squadron sees the summit. Engineers, lead the way!
0: We recently had the opportunity to speak to three generations of airmen who have spent a fair amount of time here at Otis. Staff Sergeant Kyle Marahue, from the base safety office brings his father and grandfather both retired master sergeants along with them into the studio and we have a chat with them and they tell us all about their experiences uh, let's go around the uh the room we've got uh tech sergeant kyle Marihue. Uh can you tell us a little bit about yourself
9: um i'm staff sergeant kyle Merhew. Uh, i've been in for about seven and a half years now uh, i enlisted in january of 2016 uh, I spent the first about seven years, six and a half, seven years, um, with the 212th Engineering Installation Squadron, and I switched over to Wing Staff uh, Safety Office in September of last year. Great, great. And sorry, I didn't mean to promote you. So <laughs> You'll get there eventually.
0: <laughs> um, and, and your father, um, retired Master Sergeant uh, Kevin Merrihew. How yeah. you doing? Welcome aboard, and Hi. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi. Nice to be here.
10: Thank you, Tim. Uh, yeah, I came in the Guard in 1984. Um, spent a few years as a uh, DSG, traditional. I was going to college. Um, started full time back in 1989, and working on the F-15 aircraft. I started actually working on the T-33 when I was a, uh, a guardsman as a crew chief, and then uh, when I became on full time in 89, was working on the F-15s as a crew chief um, and did that until the airplanes were gone right. and then was off you know uh, offered we were all offered opportunities with a new mission uh, and ended up uh, coming on board there and worked up work there with the intelligence wing until uh, I retired federally uh, five years ago mm-hmm. uh, But you came right back. Oh, actually, I retired militarily five years ago, excuse me, uh, and then uh, took a, a Title V civilian position for another four years. Great. And
0: then retired from that, so. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. And uh, we have Kyle's grandfather, Master Sergeant Retired Richard Rooney, Jr. Welcome aboard, sir. Oh, thank you very much. Yes. So you stand out a bit. You're, you're the active duty. You were in the
11: active, active duty component. Duty, yes, I I got caught up by... I enlisted in May uh, 1951, Korean War, sure. and when I retired in 73. I retired as a master sergeant. I was an air traffic controller. Oh, cool. I served in the Korean War, served in the Vietnam War, and a little place in between. <laughs> yeah, and you uh, eventually ended up here at Otis. Uh, was yeah, that your final? I was stationed here twice in Otis. Yeah. I got here bef- I, before I went to Vietnam. I was to Vietnam in 68 and 69. And when I came back, I came back to Otis again because my family was still in the area, so sure. it just happened to work out like that. But uh, when I first got to Otis, I had came, I came in from, uh, I was working with the Chinese over in Taiwan, mm-hmm. and when I came here and I said, wow, look at this base. They had everything here. There. Uh, they had to play, uh, their cafeterias, and they, uh, held they were bigger than what we had over there. Combined, even this was quite the quite the base. I mean, oh, it was quite, quite the, the base. Yes, the it would, the mission was very interesting. It used to have the uh, Connie old Connie C one twenty ones, used to take off every you know at least twice a day, and they had seven tons of electronic equipment on board oh. and an old old aircraft. And well, used to go out and spend hours out there, so just circling and monitoring what's going on, and. But they had service. Like I said, you can get anything you wanted on this big Big cafeterias, big... They had a gym. Even the Celtics used to practice in the gym there. They had an indoor swimming pool. And Biggest thing we've ever seen as far as being in the Air Force at that time. But, but we got here in the wintertime. We were freezing, and they didn't have the highways they had now. We drove up from New York and came up and all. Snowing like heck. And we got... We pulled into... Uh, personnel assistance, and they set us up in bedding and everything housing couldn't think of anybody any being more cooperative than the people there helping us I had four children at the time loved the place yeah
0: that's a, great big hospital everything how much has changed when you uh, when you come onto the base now how much oh is, I mean it's it, it's like it's like min- a ghost town now right? it's like <laughs> it's like
11: missing the whole area yeah yeah <laughs> There's hardly, yeah, uh, you could look up in the sky, always a plane flying. But now, you know, it's very seldom you get to see anything like that. And the one unit on base that doesn't have planes is the Air Guard. The Air Guard, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. Well, they did, you know, it was good when they moved down from Boston yeah. because they had just closed up here and they pulled the fighter wing out of here and everything else, and the Coast Guard was moving in, but... It was a place that I'll always remember. That's and, great. You know, I made a lot of friends, a lot of families. Coast Guard was here. We cooperated in everything. You know.
0: Yeah. Um, so I'm going to start in with a few questions about your military. All three of your military services. Uh, in in the Air Force and in any branch of the service, having wingmen and having people to your left and to your right to help you through your career is very important. It's something that we talk about on the Chevrons podcast all the time. Um, starting with you, Kyle, um, You know, has, has there been a person in your career that really made a difference um, uh, as a mentor, as a teammate, and, and how?
9: Um, yeah, I've had a, a couple. Um, initially, when I first came back from school, in, I want to say, like, June of 2017, um, Tech Sergeant Carroll was my direct supervisor. He came over here. He picked me up from, uh, like, student flight receiving, and that was, that was kind of the genuinely the first person that I had, like, real military interactions with within, like, the 212th. Um, and he took me in for seizing days, and uh, I was able to get out to Rhode Island, actually, Uh, the 143rd and go see like some outside camera fiber jobs and stuff like that so they really tried to get me like out instead of just kind of sitting doing CDC studies like most people do on their seasoning days but they really put in the effort to get me out and like see actually what we do like on the job so I would say that's that was the first person that really like struck me differently than the average person would and put in the extra work
0: Okay. Um, Kevin, same question. Uh, any great mentors in your career?
10: That's a great question because, um, you know, culturally things have changed. And when you came in back in the 80s when I did, um, it was a very kind of uh, uh, re- uh, strict environment. And so <clears throat> I think my trainer at the time was probably what I would consider the wingman because it's someone who who is um, – Looking out for your well-being and trying yeah. to get you on your on your feet so you don't so you don't mess up, you know. <laughs> but uh, and and it was uh, I think he's passed now, but uh, retired Master Sergeant Jim Plasik. Um and he was he was my trainer and and taught me everything that I need to know on the uh, T-33 aircraft. And back in those days, he would he could sit in the truck and smoke a cigarette and tell me what to do <laughs> <laughs> from the truck. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's just a different world back then. But it was it was um, mostly like a, like a men's fraternity back then. Sure. Uh, and and what what few women there were serving were usually up into the admin, admin areas and so on. So on the flight line, it was a man's world and it was a tough place, to, you know, to cut your teeth. Um, but he was probably the closest
0: as wingman, as you would say. Was um, he? Um- more trainer than supervisor or was he your supervisor also he was more he, he was more trainer yeah 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 that's that's an interesting perspective because you know your supervisor especially probably back in the day was more of a disciplinarian than anything else i would imagine right
10: yeah yeah so and it's that, good to have that, that. was
0: uh, uh,
10: retired um chief carl mm-hmm. taylor oh, he right. was he was my supervisor back then and as you said, he was that strong figurehead in the office.
0: It's good to have something, you know, a separation between mentor and and boss, right? Yeah, yeah. Because you gotta you gotta talk to somebody to know how to deal with the boss, right?
10: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh,
0: so Richard, uh, same question. Um, ah. You know, in in uh, you said you had come in during the the Korean uh, Korean War. War, yeah. So um, what were things like back then as far as mentors and and people that uh, I, showed I, you the ropes?
11: I didn't have, w- the outfits I were wearing, the maximum amount, about 30, 40 people. So we never really had a mentor. Mm-hmm. And when we moved, we only moved as an individual. We never moved as a group. So I didn't have the benefits of a, a mentor. But everybody I worked with was I consider a mentor and a friend because we were really tight. Actually, we were Pretty fortunate. We never had to do KP. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: You were kind of
11: all in it together. We were rolling together. Yeah. And, you know, uh, we would uh, we played ball together. We everything was done together. But when we moved, we moved on an individual basis. So every place we went, we had to start again, A making group. your friends and group and everything else like that. But then, and you may never run into the people you knew before. I I did twenty one years and I. In all that time, I think once I ran into somebody I started out with. Well, well
0: uh, going back to the history uh, of it, um, which totally fascinates me. Uh, I'm a third-generation Air Force or mm-hmm. airman myself. And um, some of the history that, that occurred on this base, uh, you know, Chappie James. Yeah. You yeah. know, and you mentioned the T-33, Kevin. You know, we got one on display He never flew it, but it's dressed up like his jet, Chappie James. Um, Do you ever have the opportunity? Were you here at the same time as Chappie? No, I don't think so.
11: Yeah. I don't think so, no. But uh, uh, the aircraft that I've seen and the progress that things have made all along, and even when they came down, when the Alpha came down from Boston and stuff, and then they progressed from there to the F-15, I love aircraft. Yeah. I love aviation, and uh, I've met a lot of pilots. I've talked to a lot of pilots, and I've helped a lot of pilots. And it, it's it, to me, it was always a pleasure, and I, I was always amazed at somebody just putting the power to it, releasing the brakes, and watching them lift it off. Yeah, you know? right. But but it, I was proud of the job I did. I was proud of
0: the people I work with, and I was proud of the people I met. That's great. So that brings me to my next question. And, uh, Kyle, why and how has the military been worth it for you? What, what makes you re-enlist?
9: Um, I think the, it's kind of a mix of the experiences and the people. Um, everybody that's in knows that it comes with the moments that it kind of it is what it is. Um, But most of the moments are very positive. I mean, I had a really good experience in my last unit with a lot of people that I became, like, really close, personal friends with. And when I was a DSG, I actually worked outside with one of my best friends. Um, And we always – we would have cookouts and barbecues, fires. Like, we would have parties on drills and stuff like that. And they really tried to, like, bring the unit together. And it's like you become – I don't want to use the word family because it's kind of corny to some people, but it's with uh, your whole
0: family sitting across the table from
9: you. It's corny. It's um, you become like, like one, it's like everybody wants to hang out and do something. And like you go out on jobs with people and you really get to know somebody more than just being like a traditional DSG. And I know not every shop is like that and everybody has different experiences, but personally I enjoy being in the military and I'm I'm going to continue to push on and do my 20 at least. But I like the camaraderie. It's a little different being wing staff. It's a little awkward. I'm still trying to um, get used to not having, like, a unit with, like, 50 people in it. But everybody here was very welcoming, um, and I enjoy being here. Great.
0: Great. Uh, Kevin, uh, same question. You you have been in you you were in over twenty years, and then you came back for for a spell as a title five. <laughs> what kept you coming back? So I, I think, and like my son had
10: mentioned, it's the the camaraderie, the sense of purpose, the team that you know you, you kind of miss being on that team. You're all you're all striving to it a common goal and working together and. Um, my dad, he served as a... He was in the Marines. Mm-hmm. And I think... So to have a military background in your family from the beginning uh, kind of attracts you to the opportunity. Um, I used to bring Kyle out here when he was little, and I'd bring him out at night and watch... You know, i put the headset on and bring him out in the truck to the end All of the right. runway, and he could watch the F-15s take off. And, uh, you know, so... It, it's just, uh, it's sometimes it starts with a simple moment, you know, where sure. you, you get an impression and uh, you say, Hey, I'd love to be a part of that, and then you meet the people and it, it makes it even better. So, um, <laughs> but to, to to be in the guard and then to be full time technician, um, as I was for, for all those years, um, and working on the aircraft, as dad had mentioned, um, I was always in aviation. <laughs> oh, bless me, I was always uh, uh, interested in aviation, you know, we, we um, we had an aviation course in high school. It was the first time I ever came out here to Otis. Mm-hmm. We came on a field trip. And I remember sitting inside an F 106 in the cockpit, looking at all of the instrumentation and buttons and all, it, and, and thinking to myself, how do they know what does what, you know? And, you know, to find myself years later sitting in the cockpit in an F 15 and actually running the, the engines and doing maintenance checks on them. And I had to know what every switch was, and I did. And so um, it's just, it was. A great opportunity for someone um, like myself, who uh, came out of high school and didn't know what he was going to do, and uh, but loved the aviation and had the the memories of, of and the military background in the first place. And what kept me reenlisting was just uh, I never f- found a reason to leave. Uh, the quality of life that you're allowed to have um, serving as a as a, as a Guardsman. Um, and having a full-time opportunity, it's, it's a quality of life that allows you to have a long career. Uh, it's, it, I think it's more difficult when you're in active duty where you're, you're moving around all the time. It's very, you know, sure. it's here you have you have a better opportunity of quality of life that extends
0: your career. So I hope that's a good answer for oh, me. Absolutely. <laughs> it's your answer. <laughs> so Richard, same, same question. Uh, what, what gets you coming back and raising your right hand? I, I I just love doing the job. I love
11: working with aviation. I've met a lot of people, a lot of interesting people. For instance, I don't know if you're going back quite a while. There was a movie out called The Flying Tigers. Oh yeah. And General Robert L. Scott was actually the pilot they were talking about, and I had the privilege of meeting him. He pinned a medal on me one time. Well, that's great. And uh, I would never, you know, never forget a man like that. And he was. You know, I, sh- I shook his hand, and he shook mine. And I'm thinking about him sitting in his P-40 in, over in China. And mm-hmm. I said, How did I meet this guy? Why is he here? And I was very, very proud to have met him. Very, very proud to have served. And uh, it's and we moved back and forth, I and mean, the people were fantastic. Being a small alpha like that, when you pull in, it's not like nobody knows you. It's like everybody's there to help you. All right. And every time we moved, the family, kids, every everybody chipped in. When I mean, we had to make friends all over again, and friends were very easy to make in the outfits. you know. But we all we all loved our job, and we all loved helping pilots. And precision radars, you know. when Pilots in trouble, you get them down. That's it. And you no, know, you know, if you can save a pilot's life, that's it. It was the main thing. Yeah. We're all
0: we're all airmen, mm-hmm. you know. We're all in this mm-hmm. together. We're we're all brothers in flight right mm. so um, throughout your careers and Kyle again I'll start with you um, how do you stay motivated you know sometimes the job can get kind of monotonous and the daily you know what do they say the 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 day the in and outs. you know the day in day out uh, how do you get through the how do you get through that and stay motivated
9: uh, well I think, it, it's kind of a lot to do with people that you work with too and how their demeanor is. Um, I know I, I was with one unit for like seven years and then I went overseas for a couple months and I kind of just wanted to switch it up. And that's kind of the beauty of things is, even though depending on where you're at in your career, you could put a stall kind of to picking up another stripe or something, but you can switch. And if you want to try something new... As long as you have the scores and there's a slot then you can. So it's a very I mean, if you don't like what you're doing, you're not stuck. Like there is a way that you can cross train or transfer, move to bases, different things. So but motivation is tough. I mean a lot of people have good experiences and bad experiences, but it really just comes down to like if you truly enjoy what you're doing, then you don't need you don't really need motivation, you just enjoy it. But that's my uh, my take on that
0: great great kevin you know 20 plus year career um they all can't be the best day at work ever how do you stay motivated right
10: right well motivation also sometimes is just necessity um you know when you, when you do start a family and, and this becomes your career your motivation is to s- stay uh try to keep 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 sharp try and keep ready because it, things can get real really quick as we saw on september 11th yeah. and we would fly every single day, twice a day, and so us as maintainers would get into kind of a rhythm, a battle rhythm, as they would say, just a, uh, doing the same stuff every day, day in and day out, you know. And it was all routine, normal. You walk through the door, always oh, another day, whatever. And sometimes, if you know, you've got a drill weekend in between, you're doing 12 days straight, you know, you're getting tired. You're doing, but then something happens, real world, and you're training all the things that you've been doing at the mundane stuff. All of a sudden it's right there in the forefront. It's needed now. And you're ready to do it and you're able to do it. And that's when the rubber meets the road and your your motivation comes through. You know, it's 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 sometimes it's just passive and then it becomes active, you know.
0: Richard, same question. How do you probably, stay motivated? Probably the same answer. Everybody you
11: you're working as a unit there is no individuals on it you're working as a team and you're part of a team and you're proud of the people you're working with and you want to make sure that you live up to their standards and sometimes they live up to yours Mm -hmm. uh if i i walk into if i see a a car on the road and somebody's hurt somebody i i'm motivated not only uh, to help to assist if a pilot calls in and says hey I just flamed out. I'm bailing out. Could you find out where I'm going to go? Track me. You, right. you try your best to get, you want to get rescued to him. Well, I, I've seen a couple of accidents, and uh, the, uh, get, the, get the fire trucks out there. Get to save that man's life. And all about, it's all about helping. And a pilot's in trouble, he's lost, and you're trying to get him orientated to bring him back. It's... It's part of your job, and it, it's a proud job
0: you have, and you want to make sure you do it correctly. That's great. Kyle, your grandfather just mentioned about pride, being proud of your job. What's your proudest moment so far?
9: Um, I would say on deployment, setting up uh, base defense systems, I'll call it. Um, that was probably my one of my proudest moments when the A6 commander from Shaw came out and personally thanked our team chief for us setting up um, some crucial defense for a base in the Middle East. That was probably my proudest moment because we were working countless hours. It's 115 degrees. I'm in a connex box, splicing fiber, like just pouring sweat with the sand, the hot air, everything. So we were out there for, like, two months digging holes, laying fiber. It, we would have to work in the night because it was too hot during the day. Spiders, scorpions, snakes, foxes, and you name it. And uh, we got it done. And then the full bird from Shaw came out personally with his command staff team to thank all of us. So I think that probably sits the deepest so far in my almost eight years. Right, Kevin?
10: I have a couple perspectives on that. I have sure. a, kind of a team pride moment, of mm-hmm. course, when uh, we responded a- after September 11th and stood up on uh, 20, 20-some-odd 20 aircraft uh, within a very short period of time, got them all on status and alert ready, and it was a giant team effort, and we stayed on active for about a year and I think that was my team pride. And my personal pride would be when my son raised his hand and came in, and uh, when my aircraft was put on static display at the last air show that we had. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so what was
0: the tail number? 106. Nice. Yeah. Know that just like a reflex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Richard?
11: I was, well, I had quite a few of them, but one of them really stands out. We were in Arizona. And it was a navy base, not too far away, and a marine pilot was having a hard time, disorientated, cloudy weather. He did. He was all kind of wanted to bail out. We didn't have radar, and he was trying to get down below the clouds. I says, "You got mountains all over the place. Hang on, will you?" And we were talking, and uh, I says, and "He wanted to go," and I says, "You're gonna. He's gonna let a plane go." And, and, so I, I says, what do you see down there? And he, it sounded like a road I know. And I, I says, well, does it have this? And he says, I got that. He says, okay. I told him which way to go on the road. And he flew and she, took the road right to, it was a Navy field at the end oh, of it. That's great. And he landed, his name was Major Glenn Riley, United States Marine Corps. And he sent me a letter. and In the letter he says, I want to thank you very much for helping me. He says, "I'd come up and shake your hand and buy
0: you a beer, but I don't have a clean uniform." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, uh, when you're all by yourself in that cockpit, I'm oh. sure just having somebody to positive, talk to, yeah, yeah, you know, on the other end, that's mm. that's, that's that's great. Mm. That's great. Mm. Um, what's your worst moment, Kyle? And you don't have to divulge, you know, some deep dark secret.
9: <laughs> you know.
0: What would you consider a a rough day?
9: Uh, uh, Deployment, 100%. Um, Getting, We had to go through Fieldcraft Hostel at uh, McGuire, and then we went to Norfolk, Virginia to await the rotator. We loaded onto a bus in the pouring rain down to Norfolk, Virginia. Um, We got stuck there for two weeks waiting on a rotator. We had snowstorms. Uh, That delayed the flight. I got COVID, um, so I had to go to a Navy hospital to get swabbed. And then three of us, including our team chief, almost missed the rotator. And we were about to drive home from Virginia back to Massachusetts in our rental car. And then our lieutenant colonel pulled through with medical so that we got cleared to fly. But I think that was i mean on frustration basis that was probably the worst and i'd say physically um any fiber work in the desert was probably the most physically demanding thing i've probably had to do um but frustration i mean anybody that's deployed knows the whole rate rotator process and awaiting amc terminals and it's kind of usually always a nightmare so that experience was probably the most frustrating thing I've had to deal with yet but overall it was a good learning experience and I, I thoroughly enjoyed um deploying overseas well that's uh,
0: the best outcome you can hope for is
9: uh, coming
0: full circle you know a rough day but you turn it into a positive um, with your experience Kevin
10: well so, for me I think I'd have have to say that um it was watching the base realignment and closure sure. committee on TV. Turn around and tell us that we were going to be closed. Uh, I was off that day because I was on. I had pulled an alert shift, and we, you know, we get three. We were, you know, days on, days off. I was on my off days, and hearing that was just devastating because of all the incredible work that we did here at this unit.
0: You Post know. 9-11 especially all the all the right the sorties and you know and. Being told you're the best of the best and Absolutely. Not, not good enough to keep open, though. <laughs> so that was the hard yeah, pill bet. to swallow. Sure. Um,
10: and I became one of those defiant, grumpy old crew chiefs who says, I'm going to stay here until the planes you know, aren't here anymore and so on. And uh, But for me, it wasn't a good idea because I still was young in my career. I had 17 years invested in the uh, technician system and federal s- service, and I have to thank uh, now general gaglio mm-hmm. at, at the time she was uh, I think she was a maintenance officer for us and um, she, we, we talked and she came to me and she said listen um, you can't change what's going to happen here you've just got to do what's best for you and your family and I suggest that you take a position with our with our new mission and she she kind of talked the sense into me
0: and um, you know, I'm, and I'm glad that happened.
4: <laughs> That's great.
0: Uh, mentors can come in different, different ways, you know, and they could mentor you for one decision, or it could be a you know, a you know, long term thing. But yeah, they're Richard. Mm. This, uh, sitting what, here
11: thinking of many things. Yeah. What's, uh, it, what's it's, one of
0: the rough, rough days?
11: Well, the, the it was during Vietnam. Two F-4s coming back in, yeah. battle damage, minimum fuel, and monsoons, that visibility was way, way down. I was running the crew and my precision controller, we turned them over, both over to the precision controller, and I kept checking with him, and I says, you're picking them up okay? He says, I'm only getting him every second or third sweep, so he says, and I was monitoring him, and he kept telling the pilot they were low, low, trying to keep them up higher. because at the end of the runway was water. And, and all of a sudden, you know, everything went silent. And I said, you got him? And they asked the tower, I said, is he on the deck? No, they're not on the deck, you know. So I said, oh boy, oh boy, no, 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 no. So we went and the two F-4 pilots got out, the two radar guys got out. We lost the planes. But I was so happy that we got the guys out. They, they landed just short of the runway, but it got out alive, you know. It, it was a happy one and a sad one with, you know, the aircraft can be replaced. Yeah, right. Yeah. Bittersweet. Bittersweet, yeah. But anxious, a, a
0: very anxious trip. <laughs> Kyle, uh, thinking of, or, you know, considering your, your father, your grandfather, Um, How much did they have to do with your um, joining and enlisting?
9: A hundred percent. Like you said earlier, I remember uh, coming out here and sitting in the back of the trucks at the end of the runway and watching him launch the F15s. And that was at that point it was kind of like, okay, the deal sealed. Like that's what I want to do. And then, um, you know, the 2007, 2008, like realignment happened and i want to say uh, 2008 i was in fifth grade so i wasn't even really close to coming in but i i didn't really know what to do i i still wanted to join but my passion is really like aviation and airplanes and i i didn't know like if i wanted to come here specifically but i know i'm not really crazy about western mass just I mean, we live on Cape, let's be real. It's not, it's not Western Mass. So I, I didn't really want to go out there and do that mission. So I just stuck it out here. And, it, you know, it's still, it's still a good place. Um, I'm not a big computer guy. So for me, the, the Intel mission doesn't fit my bid personally. But that's why I went into cable before. So I did. I went to Evoke Tech, um, Lower Cape Tech, and did electrical. So when the recruiter brought me in and they were like, oh, we do you know, fiber optics and telecommunications, I figured that's the closest thing I can get to electrical just on the telco side. So it worked out for me, um, even though I wanted to work on aircraft initially. But, I mean, it's, they're 110% the reason. It's kind of hard to come from that much background and not join. So they... Sure. Uh, they definitely attribute to a hundred percent of the reason that I'm sitting where I am right now. And Kevin, how proud are you of this guy? Incredibly proud. Um,
10: I can't say enough about my son's decisions that he's made and um, the work that he's done, the places he's already been, the things Uh, he was on the seagull before I ever was.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you were in the tiger tracks. (laughs)
10: That's probably true. Um, so yeah, looking through the archives is a lot of fun, but um, yeah, very very proud, and uh, yeah, yeah I, I can't say enough about it. Um, thank you,
11: sir.
0: Sure. Richard, same question. How proud are you? Are you I'm
10: very uh, of proud of both of
11: them, my son-in-law, yeah. and my grandson? And I, every time I see them in uniform, I say, why aren't I in uniform anymore? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm very proud of them. They've done tremendous well. And, and i every time i see them i i get a feeling of greatness you know and say hey they're nice they're great guys
0: they serve they're doing what they can do so. carry on carry on the tradition mm-hmm. okay. um so i wanted to kind of uh, start to wrap up um but with a little bit of a uh, little more history of uh, otis because uh you said, as you said before, you you were stationed here at Otis twice. Twice, yeah. And so I'd like to get a little bit uh, more of the the history of this place. Uh, what was it like serving here?
11: Oh, like I say, it was yeah. fantastic. Well, I came from a place and <laughs> working with the Chinese, and we had no nothing, and then everything I, everything was right here for everybody. But uh, I watched the pilots fly every day on any type of conditions, the linemen, snow, sleet. And New England weather, yeah. and they were out there supporting them. And the fighter pilots, everything was the same. Uh, everything that you would want in a military man, you can say, oh, this is what these guys do. They put everything on the line. Uh, it's it's a lineman, a cook, 24 hours a day, fireman, corpsman, hospital. They you know it's right there and. I didn't get to see too much of that, and the other because I moved around quite a bit, and like I said, we were a very small outfit. But when I got here, and I said, "This is this is a base, this is something," and you see the people, see the courtesy, and you know, on the roads, walking, hi, how are you, saluting, yeah. and you felt proud to salute, you know. And, but I thought the base was something out of this world, and the, Every time I come back, I get sad now. And every time they're taking down another barracks or move something out, I say, where did all of this go? <laughs> and I think of everything that was here, and it's not here anymore.
0: But, it's, but it'll always be in my memory. My uh, my first base was Loring Air Force Base up in Arista County. Ooh, nice Maine. And cold. <laughs> Yeah. And I'll tell you, you know, uh, I left there in '90. Uh, 89. I left there in 89 and to go back because they got bracked in 94. Um, to go back, I've been back twice and to see how the place looks now is completely contrary to my yeah. memories. Like, <laughs> it was such an active base. I, I remember I was going to Vietnam and we were
11: looking for a place to put my family when we went up to uh, Maine when the base had closed up there and took the family up and i have a daughter that she's not very tall and we get up there and the guy says oh we get snow sometimes it comes up to the second floor so she turned around and me dad i'm not that tall i'm not gonna stay here <laughs> right. but the all the bases is just closing you know yeah not too many left
0: yeah a lot of bases have closed even in you know around the time frame that kevin and i joined you know a lot of bases have closed yeah. since then it's amazing
11: I started out at Luke Air Force Base, where uh, the flying, you know, the Thunderbirds started. Oh right! And it was started two two second lieutenants. They were both brothers, twins, and they kind of got the organization going. And I will always remember them because I used to go see the shows when they were all over. And I said, these two lieutenants—they're not lieutenants anymore. They were, they were generals almost. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but a long time ago, time time flies, and so does the Air Force.
5: Right.
0: So the last question I want to ask each each of you is, uh, do you have any words of wisdom for people coming up or people coming and listening to this podcast? Uh, we're, we're talking the enlisted force. Any words of wisdom? And uh, we'll start with the most junior person on the panel. Kyle, you got any words of wisdom?
9: Um. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're in, and um, you know you you're not exactly sure like what you're doing and where you're going, if you're kind of lost in your career, um, just branch out and explore other options. Um, it never hurts. There's a lot more in a wing than you would expect there to be. Um, I didn't know coming from a squadron that was across the base. I genuinely didn't know. How much inside of a wing there is, and how much stuff there is to do. Um, so if you if you're not happy where you're at, just look at other options before you just say, oh, oh well, I'm just gonna get out because it's it's really it's not worth getting out. Genuinely, it's there's a lot of things you can do uh, within a base or another base, and if you're looking to join, um, just contact a recruiter and my recruiter was fantastic i i've never met a bad guard recruiter i've never heard anybody say oh a guard recruiter lied to me i mean our state benefits are fantastic this wing is fantastic you know i've never i've never had anybody do me wrong or anything like that here and i i thoroughly enjoy being here so well and even
0: if there isn't you know maybe you're not eligible for a cross-training opportunity there's always special duties too
9: yeah no uh-huh. you can definitely I yeah. mean it's like you can do honor guard um or I know other you can bases. become a recruiter yeah yeah you definitely could I mean there's endless opportunity you just need to you need to know where to look and how to find it and um if you have a really good mentor or supervisor that also can genuinely help a lot with that so
0: great great advice thank you Kevin, any uh, words of wisdom for people who are currently serving? Well, I'll say
10: ditto to everything my son just spoke upon, and uh, it, it well articulated um, point of view. Uh, but uh, and, and I'll add to that that um, you know we all need to do something for a living. And and what's been a wonderful experience about about this career is that it's more than just a job. Um, that the the uh, sense of purpose the camaraderie the pride uh it's you're going you, it's you're doing it more for uh than just for yourself um it, it's 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 uh, been rewarding that way you know and, and that's it's it's an uh quality of life and enrichment of purpose that's that's larger than I ever knew I mean I could still stand there at family day and I'll get a lump in my throat sure so yeah it's been very rewarding Right. great,
0: great. Richard?
11: Well, like I say, it's a big family. Yeah. What well, you put into the family, well, you'll get back 20 times over. And if you need help, there's no place else to go but the family. It's about all well, like I can say. It's, it's a fantastic way of life. And like life itself,
0: put into it, return ward. That's great. Great, great. advice. Well, thank you, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast, and uh, it's been great listening to your stories. And Richard, thank you very much for your service. Kevin, same to you. Appreciate and the invite. Kyle, it's uh, you know we're we're, we're kind of coworkers. We run across each other in the hallway these days. That's so it's it's good to see you uh, every day. And thank uh, you for yours. Sir. Thank you, Tim. Thank, thank you, you appreciate your Before we go, here's a bit of a preview from our other podcast, Chevron's. From junior enlisted to senior leaders and those in between, we interview notable individuals to address everyday challenges and hurdles the enlisted force faces. In this episode, we speak to four recent participants from the Technical Sergeants Involved in Mentoring Enlisted Airmen, or the TIME Workshop, held at Hanscom Air Force Base earlier this month technical sergeants from several Air National Guard units throughout the Northeast, as well as a handful of members of the Paraguayan Armed Forces participated. Attendees were guided by several chief master sergeants and subject matter experts about how to develop their leadership skills. Discussions were led on topics such as empowerment, total force fitness, generational leadership, emotional intelligence, and innovation. Our episode today is sort of a live trip report of the conference. What worked, what didn't, and what were some of the lessons learned, and why workshops like this are so valuable in the development of airmen and NCOs at all levels.
1: But also people just interacting from, you know, the 109th, I, you know, don't really know where they are geographically on a map. I had to honestly look it up. Um, but having those conversations and knowing, building those pairs, especially coming from a legal background, we're a very small office, we're a very small AFSC, so having the opportunity to talk to someone in a completely different realm of what they do is something that you can't get on a day-to-day basis.
8: But the biggest takeaway for me from this is, um, they had us like do an exercise, and they put like a list of like 40 words on the board, and they were like, okay, how would you describe yourself as a leader? And you get to pick like 20 of them. And then the second question was, okay, now using 10 of the 20 that you picked, how do you think your subordinates would describe you as a leader? And realistically, I sat there and I was like, man, I have have no idea. Like I've never taken the time to ask my troops what they think of me, what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? And get like actual constructive criticism. You know what I mean? I don't want like a yes man who's gonna be like, oh yeah, you're doing great. You know, nothing's wrong. You can't improve anywhere. You're perfect across the board because we all know that's, you know, a load of crap. So um, that was really good for me. For me, it's being able to talk to the technical side, talk to our team, explain kind of some of the vision, some of the ideas that we have, what we're trying to work towards, but then getting the feedback from them to say, I think you're on track or maybe we should look at something different or maybe we should refocus or re-cage. And I, and I, I gain a lot from that because, again, same, with the same concept that you brought up, like you, you I don't want to hear like I'm doing a great job like if I'm doing a great job, tell me, but if, if I'm sideways, I tell that to my group all the time, like, just let me know. And, uh, to, to have the conversations, uh, throughout, um, during the briefs, but really after the briefs, uh, I think is just really important. And it just shows the, the maturity and, and the involvement and the growing of the force that ultimately our job is to train our replacements.
10: Yeah. I think, uh, you know, with, general brown's action order eliminating bureaucracy um i think it's important
4: for all leaders
10: and when i say all leaders writ large across the force anywhere from a staff sergeant all the way up to the top we're all leaders in some way shape or form and i think we all need to do our part uh, to get behind
7: eliminating bureaucracy making processes easier being smarter about decisions
1: The end of summer is here, and there is one tradition the Eagle's Nest doesn't want you to miss, their annual barbecue. This year's barbecue is scheduled for Saturday, August 26th from 5 p.m. to 11 p.m., and will feature grilled chicken, beans, potato salad, and a roll for $8, or two hot dogs and chips for $5. There will be plenty of music for your listening and dancing pleasure, plus opportunities for audience participation. The Jody Moore Band will be performing until 8 p.m., and the night will still be young as the 102nd's own DJ Bobby hosts Otis After Dark. The barbecue band and DJ are open to everyone. Members and non-members of the Eagle's Nest are welcome.
0: You know, the summer is nearly over when the annual barbecue happens. With that mind, let's take a look at some of the holidays and observances coming over the next month or so. Uh, August 26th, the day that this, uh, well, the first, the first day of the RSD. Uh, is Women's Equality Day. Um, we also have uh, Banana Lovers Day on August 27th. Julia, do you know why most people are fans of bananas? Why The fans of bananas, why they love them? Why? Because they have appeal. That's a good one, Tim. Yeah, you like that. Uh, September 1st is World Letter Writing Day. Uh, when's the last time you wrote a letter?
1: In BMT, I'd have to say.
0: Oh, how many? You, you must have sent out a lot of letters. you got a lot of family.
1: A million. My mom likes to write letters.
0: That's cool. Um, September 3rd is National Pet Rock Day. You ever had a pet rock?
1: I'm sure I've had a pet rock.
0: (laughs) And uh, the week of September 3rd to 9th, it's so important they devote a whole week to it, is National Waffle Week. Are you a fan of waffles?
1: Yes, everyone needs a waffle week. Uh,
0: What what kind? Eggos or Belgian?
1: Oh, I don't know. I grew up on Eggos, didn't everyone?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, September 4th is Labor Day. Eat an extra dessert day. Uh, Well, it's Labor Day and eat an extra dessert day. So go ahead. Have that extra piece of cake. You've earned it. National Coffee Ice Cream Day is September 6th. Is there a more New England observance than that? No. No? <laughs> <laughs> when is National Fluff another day? That's like the other, you know. It's very New England. Yeah, yeah. Peanut butter and marshmallow fluff. Um, September 10th is Grandparents Day. You know, uh. If you still got grandparents around, give them a call. Let them know that you're thinking about them. They would appreciate that. Uh, September 11th is Patriot Day. Needs no explanation. Uh, Take a moment to remember. September 18th, locate an old friend day. Uh, It's also National Cheeseburger Day. So maybe look up an old friend and invite them out for a cheeseburger. It's also happy 76th birthday to the United States Air Force. You don't look a day over 70. September 23rd is the fall equinox, or the first day of fall. September twenty sixth is Lumberjack Day and National Pancake Day. What are the odds, Julia, that uh, National Waffle Week and National Pancake Day are in the same month?
1: Why does Waffle Week happen and not Pancake Week?
0: I know I, you would think pancakes would be like higher up on the list.
1: You
0: think so? September thirtieth is International Podcast Day. Um, celebrate! You know, should we have a cake?
1: Ooh, ooh.
0: This yes. on this podcast let's see from september 15th to october 15th is hispanic heritage month thanks for listening to the seagull for more news from the 102nd intelligence wing visit our website at www.102iw.ang.af.mil slash links or search for 102iw on any major social media platform